How's it going? It's going good. You look great. Thank you. Smile through the plague and all that good stuff. How are y'all? We just um, assembled a bed frame, a brand new bed frame. Michael assembled a bed frame for me. There was a lot of tea on display. It was very much of him to do. Hi, Binya. Nice to see you. Hey, hey, hey. Nice to see you too. Binya, have you ever been on a podcast before? No, I haven't. This is my Shehechianu, bitch. Oh, Masoltov. Welcome to your first podcast. Everyone remembers their first time. Thank you for popping my uh, pod cherry. Pod cherries. That sounds like something you buy in a marketplace. I think you mean pot cherries. Yeah. You fucking stoner head. <laughs> okay, Grandma. We're recording right now, but we're also just warming up, you know, getting into the flow, sipping our Prosecco. Yeah. Did he say Kiddish? The rabbis uh. didn't have Prosecco, so it doesn't count. It's not wine. <laughs> it's Prosecco, Binya. It's totally different. What tree does that come from? <laughs> it comes directly from Hashem. Oh, it's like liquid mana. Exactly. Uh. Should we transition? Okay, let's transition into an introduction. Welcome to Chai, How Are You? Uh. The podcast where we're having Jewish burping today. Um, we're drinking Prosecco and talking about the Talmud. Today we have with us a very special guest, Binya Koatz. Do you want to tell our audience a little bit about yourself, bitch? So my pronouns are bitch, slut, and... <laughs> <laughs> I'm Binya, trans Jewish girl holding down the other end of this continent from Chava. There has to be two of us at all times or else <laughs> the world kind of like gets off kilter. The weight of my bussy is holding down the West Coast. Well, welcome to the show, Binya. Thank you so much. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. How does it feel with regards to coronavirus where you are? What's the energy like in your community? The energy very recently, at least in my immediate circle, went from, oh, it's far away. That's sad. Oh, there are a few cases here. We're fine to like everything's canceled. Nothing's happening. We're all in the like screen filled isolated pod apocalypse and i was like initially in a lot of anxiety around it now i'm just in it this is what's called for and the world's gonna shut down for a month i guess <laughs> and we'll see how that goes it kind of feels like christmas but for for the wrong reasons christmas is already for the wrong <laughs> yes. reasons so i guess in that way they're actually exactly the same. <laughs> no you see you know they used to say in yiddish back in the day i heard on the trafe podcast episode about the war Christmas, they used to go around saying Nishka Shmoygen, Nishka Floygen didn't rise up, didn't fly up in reference to the Christ. But of course, in reference to coronavirus, they mean don't rise up, don't fly up, don't get on an airplane. Yeah, don't rise up, don't fly up. And please, to the coronavirus, please don't go airborne. It's actually, it already lives in air for three hours. Fun fact. No. Really? Yeah. Is that for real? That's a fact. Me and my therapist were debating about this. Yeah, it lives on air for three hours, cloth and stuff for not super long, and then on like porcelain and stainless steel it lives for a super long time clearly we need to be running around with giant chunks of cloth <laughs> yeah i actually only eat off cheesecloth now <laughs> it's a new halacha new halacha write it down and we all have to be draped in glamorous fabric all the time we're reading about all the like putting fabrics and shit in Torah recently so the what fabric oh yeah the mishkan fabrics yeah and like all the kohen drag and all the like little <laughs> dangly gay pomegranates <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, Michael. I had heard about that last on this podcast, and then now I'm on the podcast, and I'm behind <laughs> the curtain. And I want everybody to know they're even more beautiful than you think they might be. Wow. Welcome to the Holy of Holies. There you go. Um, This is it. The incense smells amazing. That's right. It's the incense of Prosecco and Jewish sweat that it took to put together this bed frame. Oh my God. The broken tablets are way cooler than you thought they were going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. This is our fifth installment of Hi, How Are You? We've been making so much content. Hamsa. Hamsa. Good luck for everyone. If you listen to this podcast and join my Patreon, you will be protected from the evil eye. That is true. I thought you were going to say coronavirus. <laughs> what is coronavirus if not the evil eye? Do not, that's not medical <laughs> advice, people. So as you're all out there, probably secluding yourselves and protecting yourself from the evil eye that is the coronavirus. God willing. We are here recording an episode of Hi, How Are You? So what are we talking about today, Hav? I'm so glad you asked. This is a part of a three-part series about Talmudic socialism. On this episode, we're going to talk about Shemitah, and then on the next episode, we're going to talk about some other super interesting legislative enactments in the Talmud. And then on the third episode, we're going to talk about gleaning. We're just going to dive into Talmudic economics. To start off with, I wanted to bring a little bit of text. So one unconventional bit of text I want to bring is just a quick definition of socialism. The first Google search that I could complete <laughs> told me that socialism is a political and economic theory of social organization which advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. That sounds really totally cool and not controversial at all. <laughs> I thought up this series about Talmudic socialism, and I wasn't sure how I was going to relate the two to each other. But then I was thinking that the Talmud is sort of inherently socialist because it necessarily involves the community in deciding how resources should be distributed and in how the social order should be organized, because the Talmud is just like a record of all these conversations in which people are discussing how resources should be distributed, what our social relations should look like. So it's inherently socialistic. It's basically just a giant recorded process of co-regulation of the entire organization of society. And we participate in it by studying it and also by creating the halacha of the future, we are enacting socialism necessarily. I'm sure there are many capitalist Talmud nerds who would disagree with my interpretation, but I'll stand up here and now and say the Talmud is necessarily socialist and can't be read any other way. You're creating new halacha. The only thing I know about halacha is like the first part of the word, which is challah, which I... <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm a noob here. Exactly right. So the first part of the word is challah, meaning the the braided Jewish bread, reggie and doughy. And the second part is cha, which is just the Hebrew way of pronouncing cha, as in the cha-cha slide. <laughs> so it's basically just, you know, bread and dancing, sustenance and movement. It's just how we move through this world and sustain ourselves. That's that's what halacha. Halacha is the new bread book. <laughs> I love that. Benyo, were you going to say something when I said the Talmud is inherently socialistic? Well, I think some of the decision-making process is communal. Some of it could also be thought of as not taking the view of like the rabbis as an elite group who have access to wealth 
from their own family or from somebody else to like allow them to study all the time or something like that. I don't take that view fully. I like the other one a lot better about them being queer rad folks. But a group making decisions isn't necessarily socialistic, depending on what's the context of the decisions it's making and the power it's wielding. The things that feel more anarchist and socialist to me are like about the ways that it's describing a dispossessed people living under empire and obligated not to their rulers but to the only one ruler you know who is you know (laughs) you're raising your eyebrows at me like i know but you have to say it because your facial expressions don't translate in podcast and also i think hashim would not accept you know as an appropriate moniker (laughs) You can't have a, you know, with a nice little wink. (laughs) It's one of God's names. It's just winky emoji is the new name of God. Um, Yeah. So Hashem, you know, and and the ways that that fundamentally restructures society. And since we are all in her image, that is like the, the fundamental thing. Like, you know, on a scale that only includes Pharaoh and a shepherd, the Pharaoh can seem a lot higher on the social scale than the shepherd but once you add hashem pharaoh and shepherd become indistinguishable from each other and i think that that is one of the points of this whole project flatten out along the lines of what we're talking about politically that seems like a pretty socialist or egalitarian idea so do you think there's a lot of egalitarianism in in the torah and the talmud yeah i mean i think it's there i think we have to read it in i think we have to read in whatever we need into the torah and the talmud and i think we can't wait for the text to give it up to us we have to dig for the egalitarianism and the torah you know we have to read it to filth frankly (laughs) and we have to read it as filth hava please enlighten us give us some filth give us the filth that we are all tuning in for that your listeners are pleading for that your patrons desire (laughs) oh Oh, please give us filth dig it out of us we're not just gonna give it to you (laughs) filth in the form of an talmudic economic proposal so the little bit of text that i'm bringing today comes from deuteronomy 15 verses 1 and 2 oh don't raise your eyebrows at me bitch devarim devarim Okay, as Binya says, Devarim, 15, 1 and 2. I always like to get a little bit of original language on the page, and then I'll read the rest. I'll read the first verse in Hebrew and the second verse in English, just because I want to have enough that it's digestible, but not too much that it becomes overwhelming. So, Devarim, 15, 1. Miketz, Shva, Janim, Derasei, Shmita. In translation, every seventh year, you'll have a release which the rabbis and other interpreters have interpreters. Um, Interpreters, (laughs) believe, means a remission of debts. And that's sort of based on the following verse, which says, this shall be the nature of the remission. Every creditor will remit that which is due that he claims from his fellow. He shall not claim his debt from his fellow or his kinsmen, and the remission is proclaimed by the Lord. Basically, the idea is that every seven years... Debts are canceled and not allowed to be collected. It seems inherently socialistic. I think it's attempting to be an economic structure that focuses on equalization and meeting the needs of the whole community. It's an economic structure, this remission of debts, that is sort of flattening the wealth landscape in a lot of ways. 
Also, it's one that's super relevant for our universe because we live in a world where debt is so in need of remission, like student debt. Just today, I saw the government in somehow injected, I don't know how this works, but the government right? in- like- <laughs> injected directly $1.5 trillion of stimulus money into the market. And coincidentally, that is the same amount of money that it would take to cancel all student debt. So the government is definitely not following Torah law. This system is wild. It's delicious and like really, really radical. That confluence where every like lefty nerd is like, well, radical means brutes. Like, oh, (laughs) cool. Um, But this is like where those two things come together. You couldn't build capital. The world and its divisions and its disparities couldn't arise to this level if there weren't like this system of infinite debt and infinite expansion of wealth and all these things. In this scheme that we're talking about in the Torah, lending on interest within the Jewish people is already forbidden. So no one's Mm -hmm. lending on interest. So when we talk about the remission of debts, we're actually talking about the debts are getting canceled at a loss to the lender. There was never any chance that they were going to make a profit off of this loan. And then if the debt gets canceled in the seventh year, in the Shemitah year, then it means that there's going to be a loss of whatever money was left for them. So it says in the Talmud that you're not allowed to collect interest. Well, it says that in the Torah. This episode is a little unusual because we're reading from the Torah. We're reading from the Tanakh instead of the Talmud because I wanted to set us up for a Talmud episode next week. But it does say in the Torah, lending on interest is a no-go. Within your people. Yes, within your people. Which is an unproblematic. (laughs) Yes, totally fine. No issues there that we could possibly think of. Boop. <laughs> Thank you, Michael, for your insightful contribution. Wow, okay. This is an interesting little tidbit. Yeah, it's a really different scheme of lending than we have today. It's a totally different system of debts. And that's why I think practicing a release of debts in this case is a little more complicated than it is in our case. In our case, I think it's an obvious moral and ethical good to cancel debt. In this case, it seems great, but also the concept of debt is a little different than what we have here because it's something that was lent without the intention of making more money back. So it's it's occupying a very different social space than the idea of debt with interest that we have now predominantly within our society. Two things come up for me around that. One is that there is similarity. People have to pass down debt to their children and all these like intergenerational minus signs on a family's wealth, on a community's wealth, they're just forever. And even without interest, there is like a deep similarity in the thing that the Torah is trying to address, emotional, physical, communal weight of just knowing that you owe something to somebody and that some part of you is owned by somebody else. And that is a fundamentally untenable thing for a person or a society to have in large quantities forever. And the Torah is like, yeah, we cannot have that as a fundamental operating procedure. Things will crash. And I think that like seven year cycle mimics Shabbos in that way. Also, it's like one of the reasons why we have Shabbos is that if you worked without a Shabbos forever, if Shabbos were every like, you know, every month or whatever, rather than every seven, like the amount of built up stress you get from like never having a release and a break is detrimental to you as an image of the divine. And I think that that's a similar thing that 
Hashem was doing and Torah was doing with saying like, okay, this weight, this obligation and this owning of people by other people in part or in whole, like really can't sustain itself. Yeah, yeah, totally. It makes so much sense that it's not tenable to keep people in that psychological state of being bound up in like a power relationship for sustained periods of time. And just on that level, like this Pasuk, this verse is obviously like totally incompatible with our modern society, which is 100% dependent on sustained, uh, inequitable power relation. Does the fact of Shemitah in this space around the non-interest lending that was happening among the people of Israel mean that like, that's how far the Torah would go at that time. And like, it's our job to like read between the lines that this should apply also outside of our people and also to things that do accrue interest and stuff like that. And, and how we transition that from the craw text to like our time right here. I have usually been with you in feeling that it's sort of a shanda, it's sort of a scandal that the non-interest lending only applies to our own people. But then when I think about this definition of socialism, about the um, the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned and regulated by the community as a whole, there's this possibility that the Torah wasn't necessarily saying don't exploit each other, but you're free to exploit your neighbor, but perhaps saying like we as a community are only justified to legislate our own governance and perhaps in the world to come non-interest loaning worldwide would be the way to go but this torah is the torah of the jewish people and as such we can't legislate outside the bounds of our community because it's intended to be like a legal system that's responsive to the people who are under it rather than one that claims global authority I, I love that. And I think that's one of the more delicious tensions in Torah and in Halakha. It's like you have this like deep particularity about the Torah. This is about people who have accepted this covenant. There is a covenant to accept. And once you accept it, you are bound to it and then you do it. But and I forget which rabbi, so I won't be able to teach in the name, was bringing up there's a reason the Torah doesn't start at Abraham. It starts at Adam Harishon for a lot of reasons, including that this particular covenant is also like supposed to be universally applicable. And it's going to contain numerous things that are like the stranger among you, you will not treat them badly and they will follow the same law as you. And my house is a house of prayer for all people and all these things that seem in contradiction. So I think contradictions can be very true. And I think the idea of contradiction meaning falsehood is a very goyish idea, but I think that that thing is a very fruitful one, especially around this topic. Well, there you go. There you have it. You heard it here first, folks. Delicious economic tensions. Delicious economic tensions. What is going on? We don't know, but we are choosing to read what we want to see, <laughs> which is a millennia-long tradition. We hope you listeners enjoy and engage in along with us. Yes. Also, I have to say, Shemitah. I hardly know. I'm going to have to edit that out. That's... <laughs> wow. I have never received such a cold <laughs> stare from both of you for a no. pun. I feel betrayed. I feel as if you've loaned to me with interest and committed an Avera. First of all, how dare you? That was terrible. How dare you? All right. We need to stop. Shonda. All right. We, we need to wrap it the fuck 
Okay, let's wrap up this podcast. Um, oh. Here are some things I have to say. I have a neurological condition that we don't have a firm diagnosis on yet, but it super sucks. And I'm super scared of getting coronavirus while I have it. So if you're listening to this podcast, please join my Patreon. We're going to soon have a Patreon benefit coming where there will be a number that you can call in and leave us voice messages with your questions. That's going to be exciting. Yes, for patrons only. Ooh. Until then, you can write to us at you at gmail.com. But uh, back to the main point of this very long run on sentence, which is please join my Patreon so that I can continue to live and be housed and be fed. I would really like that. Please go to our iTunes page, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode on social media. Those are the things I have to say about how you can support us in this wonderful Talmudic endeavor. The first queer Talmud podcast ever, you people. We are pioneers. Ugh, no, we're not pioneers. That's gross. That's colonial. <laughs> okay. We're not pioneers. Uh, we're not pioneers. <laughs> we're, we're, uh... we're Jews in space. We're Jews in space! And we're also men in tights. We're non-men in tights. We're men in tights. We're Jews in space. And we've got Jews in spades. <laughs> And we're blazing saddles. We're all of the things. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Binya. And my last word on this is that if we were a thriving Jewish people, we would have as many books on how to observe the cancellation of debts as we do on how to like handle milk and meat, fake dishes, kosher, and we have to be the generation to fix that. Ah, uh, main. Mm-hmm. No more fake dishes on this podcast. I can't stand all you <laughs> fake dishes. Only cloth. Only cloth. <laughs> only, only cloth. Cloth kosher. We dish for real on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a cloth kosher is a really funny pun, Michael. Make sure you put it in the podcast. I know. We'll I fix know. it in post. <laughs> mm-hmm. You did a great post job, Michael. Up. You Thanks. handled us well. I know. I, you know. We love you, Michael. I try to keep it together. Yeah. I try to keep this show You're on the road. barely in the shot of this video chat. You're like a little uh. Talmudic gremlin. All right, women. <laughs> we're done. We're done. Shavua Tov, my lovely listeners. Shavua Tov. And uh, join the Patreon. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.